for the 12 of us that are still here. <laughs> All right, so my name is Tim, if anybody doesn't already know that. Um, and I'm a member of the teaching team here at Grace. Uh, so I get to uh, try and distill all the things that were discussed during that meeting and time together and try and uh, make it coherent and cohesive and communicate it to you. Um, so welcome to Grace uh, during the second season of Advent. Um, Advent's kind of a unique time in, in a church calendar where we set aside a month uh, to prepare ourselves uh, to remember Christ's birth. Um, so we get to anticipate that a little bit like the people in the Old Testament would have anticipated, but not really the same because we have the benefit of history. So we are looking back on it in anticipation, which is kind of weird if you think about it, right? So we're anticipating remembering what already happened, whereas they're anticipating something they weren't entirely sure what it would look like, right? So anyway, we get to set this period of time aside every year to try and quiet ourselves, uh, to anticipate remembering, and um, allow Jesus to work in our lives and in our hearts. Um, and this week, uh, we're meditating on peace, which up until earlier this morning, I thought was highly ironic, given we've just come out of Thanksgiving, Black Friday, which is now on Thursday, Cyber Monday, which is now Cyber Week. We all had to travel to visit family. Um, this year it's really compressed because Thanksgiving was so late um, that talking about peace seemed really ironic, but I don't think it's ironic. I think it is poignant. I think it is important. Um, I think it is appointed because we need to process this. We need to meditate on this. And um, I got to tell you that trying to distill everything that the teaching team talked about, and uh, we, we actually talked about it in our small group, um, it has been very, very challenging um, for me to process and understand it. I'm still working through it, so uh, I'm probably going to pitch a lot of stuff at you that I haven't fully answered, that I am still working through, and uh, my encouragement to you is uh, to think about it, to pray about it, to spend some time in the scripture, to get into a small group and, and really spend some time to, uh, discussing that and dive into the word. So um, let's just take a moment um, to center ourselves and prepare our hearts and our minds, take a deep breath. So let's just do that. Lord Jesus, we are a worried and a harried people. We've got a lot of stuff on our hearts and our minds. And God, we right now consciously set these things down at your feet and turn them over to you. We confess that you're the almighty God, the maker of all things. You're our creator, our sustainer. You hold us in the palm of your hand. You're our shield, our defender, our strong tower of refuge. You alone are holy and worthy of our praise and devotion, and you're good, Lord. 
Your word tells us that you love us and care for us. Thank you. Thank you. Holy Spirit, come speak to us today. Guide us into truth and righteousness for your name's sake. Be a lamp to our feet as your word has promised and as we so desperately need. Help us to find peace and fulfillment in you alone. Amen. So as I mentioned, this has been quite a process to to try and understand and and bring all this stuff together. And if you're not in a small group, um, find someone who sits next to you. Come talk to me afterwards. We'll get you plugged in. Um, Our text today is from Isaiah. And uh, this was written during a time of exile. So it's a historical writing for a specific people during a specific time, but it's also prophetic. And uh, it's also relevant for us today. So the book of Isaiah has different themes in different sections of the book. Um, This particular chapter, chapter 40, uh, marks a shift in the book as a whole. So I encourage you to dive into that and explore it. That's a whole sermon series. So I'm just going to mention that and leave it for you guys to dig in. Um, So let's take a look at the first section here, Isaiah 41 to 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her time of warfare is over, that her punishment is completed. For the Lord has made her pay double for all of her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord. Construct in the desert a road for our God. Every valley must be elevated and every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will become a level plain, the rugged landscape a wide valley. The splendor of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it at the same time, for the Lord has decreed it. Okay, so immediately in this passage, we see that God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, peace and comfort to his people. So this marks a shift, like I just mentioned, in the previous chapters of Isaiah, which were We're talking about exile, punishment for sin, captivity, right? And here he's saying comfort, comfort. He's saying that the penalty is completed. It is finished, right? It's a time for healing and restoration. So here we already see echoes of Jesus. In Luke 16, 41 to 42, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, right? The triumphal entry. This is right before the Last Supper, right before the crucifixion. And he says, uh, and the Bible says, And when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Right? And we know that our punishment for sin was completed just a few days later with Jesus on the cross dying. He says, It is finished. And he dies for our sins. This echoes... What Isaiah is saying here, the time of punishment is completed. We see that, but we're skipping way ahead. We also see this passage, Isaiah 41 to 5, is exactly quoted in um, the Gospels, right? For John the Baptist. It says John the Baptist is described as preparing the way for the Lord. That was what his ministry was, right? So how do we understand it? So the image of, that's given here in this scripture is of going from this slide, a twisty road through the mountains, to this, a flat road on a level plain, right? All the mountains leveled, the valleys raised up, 
So why? Why is this given as the imagery, right? Are they supposed to, like, literally go out and level the mountains? Is, is that what Isaiah is saying? When you come back from exile, you should level the mountains, you should fill in the valleys. What does he mean? Um, we, we can gain some insights from this because it's quoted in the New Testament specifically regarding John the Baptist. So if we examine John the Baptist's life and his ministry, then you can understand more of what this means, right? The scripture is interpreting it. This is what the people understood as the interpretation. So I'm going to encourage you to dig into this more deeply on your own um, during your small group time, during your own study time, but I want you to consider a few things to help guide that discussion. Consider that this scripture is talking about the removal of physical barriers and other barriers for people to be able to gain easy access to the glory of God. So in that time period, the glory of God was seen as being in Jerusalem, specifically in the temple. So they're talking about making an easy road to get there. You would have had to travel by foot or on the back of a horse or donkey or something like that, right? So going through the mountains on windy roads takes a long time. It's prohibitive. By making it an easy road, you're getting easy access to God, right? And that's part of preparing the way of the Lord that John the Baptist did. Also in this imagery, you see in, uh, towards the end of that section that it talks about everyone can see the glory of God at the same time, all the peoples. So in this imagery, they're also talking about the mountains as being a physical barrier to line of sight, okay? So he's not like literally saying you have to remove the mountains, but if everyone is going to see God at the same time, then Jerusalem can't be behind the mountains and hidden, right? So in the imagery there, it's leveled out so that everyone can see, the whole world can see at the same time. So you have lots of different things going on. And then we, as you think about it, as you're reading and studying on your own, think about how John conducted his ministry. Who did he baptize? Right? He baptized anyone that was willing, anyone that said, yes, I want to follow God. It wasn't restricted, right? Um... Think about Jesus as God in the flesh. Who did he spend time with? Who did he minister to? Did he remove barriers so that everyone could see the glory of God revealed in him? The answer is yes, right? So the next section of Isaiah here says, a voice says, cry out. Another asks, what should I cry out? The first voice responds, all people are like grass and all their promises are like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up, the flowers wither, when the wind sent by the Lord blows on them. Surely humanity is like grass. The grass dries up and the flowers wither, but the decree of our God is forever reliable. Merry Christmas. You are as transient as grass. And all of your thoughts and promises are temporary like a flower. Isn't that wonderful? This is really shocking, right? We want to think about things that we make, things that we build, being permanent, um, whether it's a physical building, a structure that we might make, um, whether it's our family, whether it's uh, ourselves, right? We don't want to think of mortality. We don't like to process that. And I've actually been thinking a little bit about this recently, just in how frustrating it is if you build something, you make something, you own a home or whatever, and no matter how awesome it is or how brand new it is, it will break, right? How frustrating. 
It's temporary. You could make it with your own hands out of the best materials, but given enough time, it will break. Um, so this is really profound, right? And there are huge sections of Scripture that actually address this as well. And I encourage you to go and, and spend some more time in that. But the whole point is that we are extremely fragile. We are temporary. And God is forever and is reliable. We have anxiety and worry and fear and stress because we know that we have limited resources. We have limited abilities. We have limited time. So we tend to try and place our trust in ourselves or in someone else. Um, and we always are disappointed because we are temporary. We don't have infinite power. We don't last. We can find temporary peace or, or a temporary relief or fulfillment in someone else that we find extremely trustworthy and reliable, right? Like maybe a spouse. But ultimately, we're all human. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. We all let people down. That's the point. Only God is reliable forever. This is an anchor verse. God's word is eternal, it's reliable, and it is to be our anchor. One of the early Christian symbols was the anchor. You see on the screen an example. So you have an ichthus Jesus fish on one side, you have another fish on the other side that reminds that you're supposed to be fishers of men, as Jesus called his disciples. You have the cross hidden in the symbol with a halo, right? This is a, an early Christian symbol when they were being highly persecuted, and so they would hide these, this imagery inside there. Um, so this passage, though, as John pointed out in our teaching team meeting, is an anchor passage. People come and go, but the word of God is forever reliable. And as it says in Hebrews, is an anchor for our souls. So we'll go on to the next section. Verses 9 to 11 it says, Go up on a high mountain, O herald Zion. Shout out loud, O herald Jerusalem. Shout, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Look, the sovereign Lord comes as a victorious warrior. His military power establishes his rule. Look, his reward is with him. His prize goes before him. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. This is really striking imagery. It's spoken to a people who are currently in captivity, right? So imagine you are a prisoner and someone tells you this. That's kind of weird, right? You, you don't see that right now. So this would be something that would be held in anticipation as an expectation. Um, and you see the scripture says, here is your God, a victorious warrior king in power yet juxtaposed as a tender shepherd holding a baby. And it's, it's juxtaposed on purpose by the Holy Spirit. Ex expect that the sovereign God will come in power, but he also will lead gently and justly. And this kind of imagery has really captivated people over the history, over centuries, of trying to understand, because we don't typically see that, right? You see any kind of world leader, they're either one or the other. And the ones that are tender don't last very long, Right? So, so having this kind of um, 
person embodied is extremely rare, but this is what uh, Israel would be looking forward to, right? They would be expecting someone like the one on the right, right? A warrior king coming to set us free. And when Jesus shows up, they get more like on the left of a tender shepherd. But with flashes, right? We see these, we see these flashes of justice, like cleansing the temple, right? Throwing people out. So we see in the New Testament and, and we kind of understand part of why the disciples were so confused, right? You, you have Jesus coming. You have John the Baptist preparing the way. We see the first part of Isaiah 40 being fulfilled. And Jesus shows up and he says, look, here I am. I'm the Christ. And they're thinking, warrior king, finally. And Jesus is saying, look, if my kingdom were of this world, then my people would rise up and fight, right? There's, there's more going on here. Um, and of course, we have now, we have Revelation, we have additional scripture that tell us about the second coming of Christ, which will be look a little different. So how does this bring us peace? How do we understand this today? Well, if we continue reading Isaiah, which Alex actually already did, the, the next verses all the way to the end of the chapter are all about the majesty of God. Who has taught God? Who showed him how to build the world, how to build the universe, right? Who gave God knowledge and understanding? It's all about the majesty and incredible awesomeness of God. So we think back to the question that was on the screen earlier. Where do you go to find peace? So if you go to the next slide. How many people thought of something like nature? Yeah, that, that's what popped in my mind as well. Um, going on a hike, something like that. So in the Bible, it teaches us that God has placed in us an innate longing for him, right? God has placed eternity in our hearts where we have this natural and innate desire to seek him out even without realizing it. We're drawn to his creation, to things that are more powerful to us, that are bigger than us. They inspire awe in us, and they should. But why? Why? Is it just so that we can have that feeling? Like, what is the purpose? Well, the Bible teaches us that God made creation awesome so that it would point us to him, so that we would see his character, his nature reflected in what we call nature, <laughs> right? If you go to the next slide. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory, Psalm 97.6. This is from NASA. The next one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork, Psalm 19.1. It's just awesome. So if the band wants to come back up, in a moment we're going to sing one of my absolute favorite hymns, How Great Thou Art. I want to reflect a little bit on the lyrics in the first verse um, because that's exactly what Isaiah was talking about. And it's relevant for us. The incredible majesty and glory and incomparable awesomeness of God that draws us to worship him, to understand his love poured out for us to give us peace. So the opening verse says, O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder, consider all the worlds that your hands have made. I see the stars. 
I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. The promise of a mighty and victorious King, our God, who rules justly and gently, coming to us. This is what we remember during the Advent season. He is our anchor that can give us peace. An awesome, all-powerful, omnipotent God that created the entire universe and yet came as a baby who is temporary like grass. So striking. I can't wrap my mind around it. But we anticipate this and we remember Jesus' birth and we simultaneously remember why he was born. He came and he lived an example as an example for us in perfect obedience and relationship with God and in perfect relationship with fellow man. He's our example, and we remember that he came to die to take away our sins. And so in a moment, we will have the table offered for all who are seeking him to come and remember. We aren't just remembering a baby but we remember why. Why did our God come? To be born as a child, to suffer and die, to take away our sins. So as you ponder peace this week in relationship to God, peace in relationship to yourself, peace in relationship to others, meditate on the life of Jesus. Know that he is our example, he is our rock, he's an anchor for our soul. And that's what enables us to have peace in all the crazy things that happen. So in just a minute, as uh, whoever's going to do the communion comes up, we aren't going to dismiss. Just come up as you're ready. And then we'll uh, try and sit towards the front. And Alex will lead us in uh, communion.